Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, March 30th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Ben, is it still March? How is that possible? It is, Peter. Uh, believe it or not, yes, it is. <laughs> Okay, let's dive into some some news before we get into the coronavirus uh, updates. Uh, let's start first with Bruce. This is a new musical coming to the stage, which is the making of Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Tell me about this. Yeah, it's interesting because I've seen like, you know, being in Los Angeles and having access to um, a lot of the, you know, comedy um, places around here, theaters and stuff like that. I've seen a lot of, um, I guess, musicals that are basically just like parodies of famous movies, but I've never heard of a stage musical that it's about the making of a movie before. But that's what Bruce is, which is a new musical that is coming to uh, New Jersey's Paper Mill Playhouse in 2021. And Bruce, uh, I'll I'll read the description here. Chronicling the making of an iconic movie, Bruce tells the story of then unknown director Steven Spielberg's beleaguered film set and the challenges that thwarted his team at every turn, including the film's star, an uncooperative mechanical shark named Bruce. At its heart, the show proves that when we are faced with hardship and work together as a team, great things can happen. So we don't know anything about, um, you know, cast or anything like that. I'm very curious to see if they get somebody that, you know, the name that we recognize to play Steven Spielberg. Um, I don't know anything about like the type of songs that are going to be in this. I assume there's going to be one devoted to, uh, I don't know, Quint's speech and like the yellow drum, you know, the yellow uh, <laughs> drums floating around in the water. Like that, There's a lot of possibilities here. I'm, I'm curious to see what this thing even looks like on a stage, too, since so much of Jaws takes place underwater. Um, but uh, yeah, it's more about the making of the movie than the events of the movie themselves. Well, the making of Jaws is like an infamous story of, you know, things just going wrong. The shark is not working. There's a documentary out there that chronicles this. And there's obviously tons and tons of coverage of this over the years. Uh, You can read like the Jaws log and uh, there's a bunch of books and stuff about the making of Jaws. Yeah, this musical is actually based on the Jaws log, which is a um, memoir written by Jaws screenwriter Carl Gottlieb. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't know. It, it's interesting because I, I feel like we don't get stories about the making of movies and how horrible those movies were to make nowadays. I, I feel like everybody signed an NDA and everybody's being nice and saying nice things. And, oh, it was, you know, oh, it might have been a pain to film in this location because it was too hot or something like that. But, like, you never hear about these disastrous productions these days. So I feel like we're not going to get our own mythology, you know. 30 years down the line, we're not going to get the, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, John based on John Wick or something. I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like, like, I don't know. It, it's a different era of stuff. But who, who do you think should be cast as Steven Spielberg in a musical about this? Man, there's like a whole I, I'm sad to say that I'm like unfamiliar with a lot of the uh you know that's like a whole different world like stage acting and and film acting and stuff and a lot of times there there's crossover you know people eventually make the jump and and go back and forth frankly but uh i just i i can't say that i'm familiar enough to like have a couple of names like locked and loaded ready to throw at you do you know of anybody no i'm not i'm not a big broadway person uh but they're aiming 2021 for this uh it'd be interesting if this becomes a huge hit if they end up making a movie based on the Broadway musical based on the making of the movie. That would be very cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about Netflix. They are making a movie based on a classic video game called Dragon's Lair, which many people might have seen from Stranger Things uh, 2, but it was a uh, huge uh, game in its own right. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the game was actually like the most popular video game in America in the 1980s. I think 1983 is when it came out. And um, the lead character in this video game is a knight named Dirk the Daring, who um, basically has to go on a quest to rescue a princess from an evil dragon. There's a, a dark wizard involved. There's monsters and obstacles and all sorts of crazy stuff. The game itself was mostly done um, with like animation by a Don Bluth, who you might know as the director of An American Tale and The Land Before Time and All Dogs Go to Heaven. He's like an ex-Disney animator who um, sort of branched out on his own and became, you know, like one of the defining uh, animation voices of the 80s and 90s. And he's 83 years old there right now. And he is going to serve as a producer on this film adaptation for Netflix. And Ryan Reynolds is going to be starring as Dirk the Daring in this thing. Um, Peter, did you ever play Dragon's Lair growing up? I I always wanted to play. It was always in the arcade, and I've, I've played it a couple times because it always – it had like – you know, back then video games looked like – I mean, what video games looked like in the 80s. Very pixelated. Uh, mm-hmm. This looked like an animated movie. Like, and it, I mean, I guess it was an animated movie, basically. It, w- it was very frustrating. You had to, like, press buttons at certain points in this, like, basically it's showing you this animated movie. And you have to press buttons, like, to have, like, the knight jump over a cliff at the right moment. And if you press the button at that exact moment, then it, you know, cuts to the animation of him going over the cliff, you know, jumping over the cliff or something like that. So it wasn't, like, a true video game. I, I-, I guess it is a video game, but... It wasn't the best video game. I don't really even remember much of the story to it. Just that there was a knight and a dragon. Is there enough story here to sustain a, I guess, a TV movie? Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't know. I think um, more interesting than the story, because like like you said, this game was very, very difficult to play because of that sort of quick reactions that it asked of people, of its players, you know, like moving the joystick at exact moments or else the character would die and you'd have to start over again. Um, so I, I, 
I think I maybe played this a couple times as a kid, but never really got very far because it was so insanely difficult. And so I, I never really finished the story, but I guess there's enough there in terms of just like, you know, uh, fantasy tropes that you can build out a story on your own that way. But uh, I think Michael, uh, not, not Michael Bay, um, uh, Ryan Reynolds, who worked with Michael Bay recently on Six Underground, uh, Ryan Reynolds strikes me as like, I guess that's the draw for this, right? Like, you know, uh, it's it's Ryan Reynolds working with Netflix again. It's him as a knight and like maybe his uh, sense of humor, his patented uh, sarcastic sense of humor is going to be the thing that sort of drives this story. So I, I guess like a sarcastic knight. Um, I don't know. I wonder if there's going to be some sort of framing device where it's like a modern day kind of, thing like a guy you know thrust into oh he gets video sucked game, into the video game or something? or something i don't know I'm, I'm completely speculating i'm just making that up that would be a way for ryan reynolds you know the, the um ryan reynolds the character as we know him you know the persona to be able to um make sense in a medieval you know fantasy world like that i'm just completely speculating about that i have no idea what they're actually planning to do here but um i don't know that i guess that's the big draw I, i'm i'm curious to see how this works too because uh it, it could be pretty thin <laughs> when all is said and done but i guess for netflix movies they don't really need that much you know like Netflix movies traditionally don't really ask very much of their audience because most people are just watching them, you know, half half watching them like while they're on their phone or, you know, doing yeah. other things at home or whatever. So uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I guess like since they're, it's so vaguely so just broadly Dungeons and Dragons, I think I would appreciate it if they somehow made the frustrating gameplay somehow part of the story. <laughs> I, I guess they could do that with him getting frustrated at the game and getting sucked in. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, let's talk about Mad Max Fury Road. It is getting a sequel, prequel. Uh, ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so George Miller, the director, has been talking about making more Mad Max movies for years now. Um, Warner Brothers and, and his production company got caught up in a legal battle over the rights and stuff like that uh, for the past few years. And I think all of that stuff is finally resolved now. And a new report says that George Miller is actively holding auditions for a prequel that centers on the character of Furiosa, who is played by Shirley's Throne in uh, Mad Max Fury Road. So uh, one of the people that he has auditioned for the lead role is Anya Taylor-Joy, who starred in The Witch and Split and Emma very recently. So uh, we don't know who else he's spoken with. Um, we know that he's holding Skype auditions right now because of the coronavirus. So um, yeah, she's the only name that we know of right now that, that he has uh, talked to about this. But uh, yeah, it appears that a Furiosa prequel is going to be the first thing up um, for George Miller in terms of uh, more movies set in the Mad Max universe. I think there was talk that maybe he would get Tom Hardy back together and maybe with Charlize Theron for like a, a I guess, more of a traditional follow up kind of thing. Um, but he is evidently hoping to start shooting this Furiosa prequel in 2021. So uh, we'll have to see who ends up getting cast there. I, I'm just like the Charlize is so perfect as Furiosa and and that character is sort of like instantly iconic and um man it, it, she's she's so good I think yeah but it's I, gonna be very tough for anybody else to step into that role I think but I guess the problem is a story problem like there is there 
more story to be told after, you know, the ending of Fury Road. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's just maybe it could be about how Furiosa becomes the the badass that she is and yeah. maybe how she, you know, gets hooked up with Immortan Joe and, and becomes one of his drivers and all that kind of stuff. Like, or it could be, I, I think it's been a while since I've rewatched Mad Max Fury Road, but I think there's that whole scene where they go out into the desert and she like falls on her knees and, and screams in anguish. I think that's like, <laughs> uh, there's some sort of like huge loss that she faces there. And I think it's because a character that she knows has died or something like that. I, man, it's been, I need to rewatch that movie so yeah. people can, uh, hold your emails and, and don't at me. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, maybe it could be tied to the, the, plot revelation that she learns there even though i yeah. can't remember it at this exact moment yeah okay uh you mentioned the coronavirus we got to do some coronavirus updates and how it's affecting the movie industry uh first off let's start with china we talked last week about about how china had reopened their movie theaters they were showing big films like uh avengers endgame and avatar how did that work out, Ben? Well, I think they were planning to do that, but I guess maybe before they were actually able to get those movies into theaters, or, or maybe the timing is a little shaky there. But in any case, you know, we talked last week about how uh, even though some of the theaters in China were open, they didn't really perform that well. I think there were, you know, they earned something like five thousand dollars at the box office on a, a on Friday or something along those lines. So that's not great. But now it's going to be even worse because those theaters, I think just over five hundred of which had reopened, are now being closed again. Um, and it's basically just because the people are trying to um, like get a handle on this coronavirus thing, and they don't want more cases to flare up. So I guess they realized oh, you know, opening this area where people can come and gather in large groups is maybe not the best idea right now. So uh, it looks like they're, uh, according to, you know, a bunch of reports on the um, the Chinese social media service Weibo, it seems like a, a lot of those theaters, if not all of them, are closing again. So, uh, yeah, bad news. Yeah, this is kind of scary because China is way ahead of us in terms of, first off, this whole pandemic, but also they... They they flatten the curve a lot better than we do than we did because that culture is just better at uh, you know the the masks not touching face not touching people uh, so... and having an authoritarian regime force <laughs> you to do that also helps but yes yes so I don't know I'm wondering what that means for us but we can talk about that in a little bit let's um let's first talk about awards because I'm wondering what the award ceremonies are going to look like for this year because you know if 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 Hollywood is going to be shut down for such a large period of time, if we're not going to get new movies in theaters, like, like how are these award shows going to work? So let's uh, first off mention the Emmys because they're still on track for September. Uh, they have shifted their deadlines and campaigning has been suspended because of, you know, social distancing. I'm sure there'll probably be some kind of virtual campaigning or something like that. Uh, but I think what we're more interested in is like Golden Globes and Oscars, uh, so, Ben, how is the coronavirus going to affect the award season? 
Yeah, we don't really know too much yet about the Oscars. They've basically just issued a statement saying, like, we're in the process of evaluating everything and everything's uncertain and we'll make further announcements in the coming days kind of thing. Um, currently, the next Oscars is still scheduled for February 28th, 2021. Um, I've seen some rumors or, or maybe not rumors, but just like speculation that uh, they could cancel them or the Oscars could be delayed or something like that. It's unclear. But uh, in terms of like actual news that we know the hollywood foreign press association which is the um like organization that runs the golden globe awards has announced a big change for eligibility and screenings for this year so for the first time in history they're actually opening up uh the films eligible for the top uh, best picture prizes for drama and musical comedy to movies that were first released on streaming services, cable and broadcast TV. So um, the only stipulation there is that producers and studios have to prove that those projects actually did have a bona fide theatrical release planned to begin in LA during the period from March 15th to April 30th of 2020. So what they're trying to do is, is not, um, uh, penalize movies that had a theatrical release planned, but ended up having to debut, you know, straight on a, a streaming service because of this whole coronavirus thing. So um, I'm not really sure what that's going to mean in terms of, uh, you know, concrete results and stuff, because typically the Golden Globes don't nominate things that are released this early in the year. I mean, that's a broad generalization, yeah. but uh, I'm not sure if the movies that, you know, had uh, released had theatrical releases planned if any of those were like going to be big awards contenders they could have been who knows what well, maybe <laughs> maybe we'll see but um yeah it's just sort of an interesting little tweak to their you know traditional voting uh, rules because obviously most of the things if not all of them before had to be like this has to play in a theater this has to you know uh, i think they're still keeping the the um requirement that like the movies have to be released uh, before the end of this year. So they have to qualify, you know, they have to qualify being a 2020 movie. But um, beyond that, it seems like they're sort of loosening the guidelines a little bit. Well, not many movies have at this point gone direct to streaming or VOD bypassing theaters. Like that's only been like a handful of movies, right? I think. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think if any of them actually have done that so far. Like, I know that Trolls World Tour is yeah. supposed to be the first uh, movie to literally go directly to streaming and, you know, and be in quote unquote theaters at the same time. Although, as we've talked about, no theaters are going to be open, so it's not really possible for them to do that. So that one's going to be the first one, I think, that would probably yeah. um meet these eligibility requirements and maybe there aren't going to be enough animated pictures or animated uh, music, uh, musicals, whatever comedies, stuff like that. As this year goes on, maybe that actually could be one of the movies that ends up getting nominated for golden globe because it has like a star studded cast and like uh, big catchy songs and all the kind of stuff that the golden globes loves to recognize in their, uh, their off kilter categories. <laughs> yeah. I think the only other one I can think of is focus features, is Focus owned by Universal? Yes. Yeah, so it's the same company is releasing Never Rarely, Sometimes Always to digital oh, right. next week. Uh, so maybe that would also qualify. But, like, I'm wondering if they're just expecting this to be, us to get a lot more of these, like a lot more of the theatrical re releases just being completely abandoned. And, you know, we're all at home. We're all looking for entertainment. I mean, it, it does seem like a market 
to service. Right, right. Yeah, I think they are probably seeing the writing on the wall and want to make sure that they don't like exclude anything because of a technicality. So they're they're just sort of opening up their um their eligibility requirements a little bit. I just wonder if if that doesn't happen more often and this thing lasts until, you know, the end of the year, um then we had what? <laughs> a few months of movies? Then what what does like Invisible Man win every Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of thing where I feel like they would definitely move the, you know, if it really is like, you know, everything is shut down for the rest of the year or even until, you know, October, November or something like that. Um, I really feel like that's the the moment where they would be like, all right, we're just going to cancel these this year and, and maybe like or or they could. Yeah, because then. <laughs> if you if you delay it a little bit, then you have to delay the next year's one. And so what's the new normal? Are you establishing a precedent where the Oscars are now in the middle of the summer or something? So I feel like they would just like call this the lost year and put a big <laughs> asterisk next to it or something and maybe have a couple of the, the movies that actually did appear, maybe have them eligible, you know, the next time they did a ceremony. But uh, I don't know. By the way, if they did move the Oscars to like June... I'd be all for that because that would mean that like the months where we usually don't get any great movies, the the first few months of the year could be all like the, you know, award releases. That would be such a huge, like (laughs) a massive change to the way that everything in Hollywood works. That would be so interesting if something like that happened, because I feel like (laughs) that one decision, just moving the Oscars would have like a, a cascading ripple effect throughout like almost every conceivable <laughs> aspect of the industry that's that would be like yeah. such a crazy domino i i feel like the more likely scenario and i think we mentioned on a, a previous version of the podcast is that they would probably combine the 2020 and 2021 uh years into a oscar ceremony which which is what they did in the beginning of the oscars the oscars were uh, i think a combination of two years originally mm. so so i mean there is a precedent for that um let, let's lastly talk about Disneyland and Disney World. Uh, what is the update there, Ben? So basically, the the brief update is that uh, all Disneyland resorts, um, or, or actually just Disneyland Resort and and Walt Disney World Resort, are remaining closed until further notice. So there was some talk that they would open up their doors again. I think on April first, I think was their original uh, yeah. date. And uh, just a couple days ago, they're like, you know what, we're not doing that. We're just going to be remaining closed indefinitely, which is definitely a good move. And I, I think we should probably give them a, a quick shout out, too, because uh, Disney has said that they're actually going to be paying their hourly parks and resorts cast members through April 18th. So they they extended the um, that that period where they're going to be paying their employees. And hopefully they'll keep extending that, you know, as long as this thing lasts. Disney certainly has the the financial means to be able to take care of its uh, employees. So um, I, I would hope that they don't just draw a line in the sand and be like, oh, well, you know, it, it's the middle of April now. So we're the end of April now. We're just not going to pay you. We're just going to leave you hanging. So, um, you know, so many people are, are struggling financially right now in this time. So I think I would like to think that if I worked for Disney, I, I could feel, you know, some sort of uh, safety net was there. Um, but uh, I guess we'll have to see how they how they end up going. Well, all the executives, I think, took pay cuts like uh, former CEO. Now, what? Chairman Bob Iger is getting paid nothing. <laughs> right. Point, yeah. Which is insane. Uh, Bob Chapek is getting paid. He's the new CEO. He's getting paid half of what he was going to get paid. Um 
another bit of interesting news is that Disneyland and Disney World are not taking ticket sales or uh, re- resort um, bookings, like vacation. Like if you want to stay at a hotel or anything like that, uh, the, the earliest date you can book right now is June 1st, which brings me to the question. Do you think Disney thinks that June is going to be the time where this is the dust is going to clear because I asked that for a variety of questions. There's there's that which is uh, you know they're allowing people to spend thousands of dollars to book these vacations in June right now which could be delayed. I'm not I'm not saying that they it's not going to but that's like a lot of stuff. Uh and on top of that they have not pushed a bunch of their movie release dates like Artemis Fowl I think is like the end of May and there's a what's the Pixar film soul I think mm-hmm. is a couple weeks into June they haven't pushed those yet so do you, do you think that Disney is in, like envisioning or do you think they're just like that's the as far as they want to push at this time yeah I think they're probably just playing it safe and they don't want to make any unnecessary announcements I think they're they're probably just in a position where like okay we can wait until you know a month before and make this call instead of you know, making that decision, uh, in their minds a little bit too early. Um, I, I really don't know what's going to happen here though, because I feel like, you know, like you're saying, they, they still have events planned for June and stuff like that. Three months, like April, May, I, I guess. So we're about to enter April. Yes. We're still in March, Peter. Um, we're about to enter April and May. So that if, if the country takes this thing seriously and everyone actually implements these social distancing things that they're supposed to be doing and sheltering at home and basically just staying inside and everybody working from home as long as it's possible for them, maybe there's a chance that, uh, you know, a couple months of everybody in the country doing that would be able to flatten the curve to a point where things could conceivably get back up and running again. But the way that, you know, from everything I'm seeing in news reports and social media and stuff like that, it seems like it's such a patchwork, um, system right now where like local governments are saying one thing, the federal government's saying another thing. Everybody's just sort of like doing their own thing on a, like a, almost like a town by town basis. It seems like a city by city basis. So I don't know if that approach is going to result in, uh, the kind of reopening period that everybody wants. It seems like that, yeah. that is the worst way to go about doing things. So unless something drastically changes and there are like everybody seems to get on the same page about this very, very quickly and everyone starts to take it appropriately seriously. I don't know if June is a reasonable, you know, if that's a reasonable expectation. I I do have a larger question for you, Ben, and I'm not sure if you are prepared to answer this or or have the knowledge to answer this. But, uh, you know, I've been reading a lot about the coronavirus. It seems like scientists think that we're about a year off from a vaccine of any kind. And that 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 could be an optimistic estimate, too. Um, uh, so, like, say, you know, uh, we get past the peak of this mm-hmm. and uh, but there's still like, you know, there's tons of old people in this country. There's tons of people that have uh, sicknesses that make them uh, more uh, susceptible to uh, to death from this and stuff like that. Uh, so at what point do we like? call it and be like oh it's safe to go outside again because those people are still going to get sick right like unless we quarantine hmm. until we get to the vaccine like i don't under, like, no one seems to be talking about this and i don't quite i can't quite get my head around this like at what point is it going to be safe because aren't 
isn't my dad who's you know very old uh, like isn't like he gonna have to stay in until there's a vaccine because there's still you know a threat of it happening even though we're we're past the peak is that that's what you're saying right i guess i guess yeah okay i i guess like there's a point where it's gonna be so like hopefully there's gonna be so few people out there with it that it would be it'd be not a chance there'd be such a little chance of those people getting it I think okay and and please don't you know I'm not a scientist I'm not an <laughs> epidemiologist I think from my understanding Peter and you may have actually read more about this than I than I have yeah. but my understanding is that the expectation is that most people and maybe not most but a lot of people maybe arguably millions if I'm remembering the numbers correctly of people are anticipated to actually get uh, coronavirus um the thing is it, the whole thing with flattening the curve is like making sure that the health, the healthcare system is not overwhelmed. So I, I think there was never really the expectation that people are not going to get it. It's more about making sure that people get it, but not all at the same time. So, I, and I think, uh, I, I could be wrong about that. No, 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 no. I think you are completely right about that. But I guess my question is like, still, what is the prevention of, the people that we don't want to get right. it because yeah. I, I think um, you and me are going to get it, but I, I could be completely wrong. You know? Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of thing that I, I wish I had, I was better informed <laughs> about because I don't want to like make any sort of wild theory that ends up being, you know, making somebody more scared than they already are because I, I, I am not, in, I'm not interested in that at all. And I, yeah. I encourage people to like go to the CDC website and like look up real facts of this stuff instead yeah, yeah. of just listening to me be a jackass over here on the podcast. But um, I, yeah, you bring, you raise a good question. And I, I don't think I've read anything about that either. Like what happens beyond the peak if we are able to flatten the curve on the tail end of this thing? How do we prevent people who are at risk from getting it still because that's a, a very uh, valid question i don't know the answer to it i'm gonna have to do some reading on my own so I, maybe if anybody else out yeah. there who has read more about this than, than we do knows the answer uh let us know because it would be great for us to read an email that actually has some good news in it so <laughs> yeah, um, yeah send it to peter at slash film.com uh I, I have read quite a few articles and it seems like everybody's looking at this in the short term of like what we need to do now, which is important because we do need to do this now. But like sure. no one seems to be talking about what's the plan is long term, which has me a little bit worried. But I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, I'm I'm glad you're leaving us on a bright <laughs> note here, Peter. That's great. <laughs> okay, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast Slashfilm Daily published almost every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, or how uh, this whole coronavirus thing can possibly come to an end to Peter at slashfilm.com. Um, we're, we're, we're not trying to joke about this situation. Uh, we're just trying to be entertaining here, guys. Um, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we will see you on the next one.